Hello, church, and welcome back to the next lesson in our adult Bible study series. I'm Jeff Sadler, and we are going to be covering lesson 12. If you've been following along in the D6 everyday study material, I hope you and your family have uh, been doing this together. If you haven't, or if you didn't get the materials, we do have uh, age appropriate material for everyone from the preschoolers all the way up to teenagers and adults. Uh, so please, if you didn't get that material, ask us, ask the office, and we'll try to get you set up. Uh, this is a very, very encouraging and uplifting time for families to kind of come together where we maybe don't have the same contact we would have, the same time together at worship and uh, with the children's worship. So this is one way that we can try to maintain this uh, this growth as a family uh, and, and really take the you know Deuteronomy 6 mentality to heart of really teaching our kids as we go along through life and, and weaving it into our, our daily life as a family. So uh, if you are at a point where you can, I'd encourage you to grab a Bible this morning or this afternoon, this evening, whatever time it is when you're listening and follow along. We're going to be in the book of Job today. Uh, so we're going to be changing it up a bit. We've been talking about Jesus. We've been in the New Testament. Now we're going to jump back to the Old Testament. Before we jump into the text, though, I just wanted to kind of get you into the frame of mind of what we're going to be talking about today and have you ever had a really bad day? I mean, I'm not talking about, you know, one of those days where you just maybe had car trouble or maybe the kids are acting up and kind of at each other's throat, or maybe you're just feeling kind of tired and down. But I'm talking about those life-changing days, those days where you get really, really bad news about a family member, or maybe it's your yourself for those that have dealt with diseases like cancer you get that diagnosis. That's those are the kinds of bad days that change your the course of your life. It's not just a day that you wake up the next morning and start over again. Those are the days that, again, it affects the next weeks, months, years, and probably has a lasting effect. We're going to read about somebody who had a really, really bad day and the way they responded. And we're going to pull some lessons out of that, that I think if we take these lessons to heart, it can prepare us for when those dark days come. And next week, we're going to get into the question. I don't know how I drew the straw for this one, but we're going to talk about why does God allow suffering? So we're going to kind of continue this theme for a couple of weeks. But today, we're not going to get into the big th theological discussion about the why, but we're going to talk a little bit about how to prepare ourselves for that. So if you're at a point where you can follow along, uh, we're going to start in Job chapter one. Job one, verse one. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys and very many servants, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day, and they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus, Job did continually. So I want to pause right there because I think there's a couple important lessons that we can draw out of these first few verses. And the first thing that jumps out at me is right there in verse one, it says that Job at the beginning of the book, it describes Job as a man that was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. 
And the reason why that's important is because at the beginning of the book, you know, this isn't the book of Job is not about somebody who's turned their back on God is a lost soul that doesn't know God and God comes into their life and wrecks their life to wake them up so they can see the power of God. To the contrary, the book of Job is about a man who was walking very, very closely with God. And then we're going to see what happens when somebody who's in a relationship and is walking with God encounters deep, deep tragedy. And that's why it's critical for us to understand that we need to walk with God before the trials come. We need to fear God and we need to turn away from evil now, today, while things are good. And we see that in Job. And so the keys to Job's character and integrity that we see are that he feared God and turned away from evil. These two points are tied together in other places in the Bible, but uh, Job also points this out later in Job 28, 28, where he says, behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to depart from evil is understanding. These two ideas go together closely. You cannot fear the Lord, but then turn around and do evil. Now, likewise, not everybody that does good fears the Lord. Some people do it for their own gain. But to truly have this firm foundation that we see in Job, it's when you pair the two together, when you have a healthy fear of God, and when that healthy fear of God drives you away from evil and drives you towards good, that's when you have that foundation. I like the way Oswald Chambers says this. He says, the remarkable thing about fearing God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. So we need to strive today to build that fear of God. And that's done by studying his word. When you read his word and you see how both amazing and terrifying God can be, uh, but also how amazing and loving and faithful and loyal God can be to those who pursue him. Uh, that's where we get that strength from. And so as we look at these opening verses, I think that's one of the really, really important lessons that we need to take away from this. We need to walk with God now. So if if you don't have a close relationship with God, if you've strayed, if whether it's because of the pandemic and everything that's upended and changed in your life, if you're not reading your Bible as much as you used to or praying as much as you used to, or maybe you never really did those things consistently, now's the time to pull that together. Because uh, this really is the key to Job's success before the trials, why he was so blessed is because he walked with God. And this was the way he was able to maintain his integrity throughout the trials. It's because he had that fear of God and he turned from evil. He made it a habit. Uh, and then after his trials, when we see if if you do read, go back and read the book, you'll see that God blesses him at the end again, because he remained faithful and true. So what you're doing today is going to help prepare you for those tougher days. And it's really, really important that we keep that in perspective. So let's now jump back into the text and pick up in verse six, Job chapter one, verse six. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there's none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? 
Have you not put a hedge around him in his house and all that he has on every side? You've blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, and there came a messenger to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding besides them, and the Sabaeans fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. I alone escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, and behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young people and they are dead, and I alone have escaped to tell you. In just a few short minutes, Job lost everything. His wealth, his livelihood, and then his children. And if you noticed, as each, you know, each thing happens, the servant comes to tell him what happened, and it says, while he was yet speaking. And it says that, three times. These four servants come one after the other, after the other. And Job doesn't even have a chance to process. He doesn't even have a chance to realize, okay, so the ox and the donkeys are gone. So how are we going to go ahead and plow the fields? Or, okay, so we don't have any more sheep. All the sheep are gone. The servants are gone. So don't know where we're going to get wool. He didn't have a chance to process any of that. It's just one after the other. And it ends with the servant coming and saying, all 10 of your children are dead. I mean, I, I've had some some bad days, but nothing that compares to that. I can't imagine the pain that Job must have felt. I mean, losing one of your children, uh, I, I wouldn't wish that upon anyone. Losing all of them, along with everything else, it's just, it's unimaginable. But there are some important things that we can draw from this. So if you back up to verse six, where we started, it starts out in, in God's throne room. And here we have Satan approaching God, which is kind of a weird dynamic. And it's not something that we normally think about. We think of Satan, you know, being like the, you know, ruler over hell down in the fiery pits of hell. And we read about that in revelation. That's his eventual destination. But here we see in Job's time, Satan is roaming about the earth. He's approaching God, which is, again, it's kind of a weird thing to think about, but one thing you'll see in this, God is in control from the beginning. You have Satan approaching God and you have, Satan has, can do nothing until God gives him permission. And that's one of the important lessons that we need to understand is that while it may not be God that's doing the afflicting, God is sovereign. God allows things to happen. And, and as I mentioned, we're going to talk a little bit more about that next week, about why does God allow suffering? We're not going to delve into that today. But understand, though, that God is sovereign, and we see that from the beginning of the book of Job. Another thing I want you to notice, though, is 
I, I think it's fascinating when you look at the way God talks about Job. Uh, he uses the same language that the book opened with, where he talks about him being blameless and an upright man. This is God describing Job in that way. And I love it because when you read God's description of Job, it almost sounds like a proud father talking about his kid. He's like, have you seen my son, Job? He's such a great guy. You know, you should go check him out. And then contrast that to Satan's response. So God brings no fault of Job. Satan, on the other hand, though, immediately starts accusing Job. Well, the only reason Job is so good is because you've been so kind to him and blessed him so much. Take everything away from him and he's going to curse you. And essentially, if you really look closely at what's going on here, this story is not about Job. It's not about whether or not Job deserved to suffer, which they'll have that conversation as it goes on or why Job is suffering so much. But the important thing here, really what's at stake is, is God worthy of our worship because of who God is? Or is God only worthy of our worship when he's giving and blessing us? And I think if you look at Job in those terms and answering that question, the book will make a lot more sense. If you think like what we want to know is we want to approach this book and answer the question, why does God allow suffering or why do bad things happen to good people? But that's not the question that Job sets out to answer. Is God a just and righteous God who's worthy of our praise because of who he is? Or is he only worthy of our praise when he's blessing us? So I think it's important to look at this because I, I don't think Satan has changed all that much. I think Satan uses the same tactics against us today. I think like Job, Satan goes to God and says, have you seen my servant, you know, or God saying, have you seen my servant Jeff or Paul or whoever, you know, and Satan's the one that's accusing. Satan's the one that's looking at us saying like, ah, he's not that great. Like take away his family. He won't praise you. He won't worship you. He only loves you because you're so good to him. If you picked him out of America and dropped him over in a third world country somewhere, he'd immediately start cursing you. So Satan's the one that wants you to believe that you're not good enough. Satan's the one that wants to convince God that you'll only worship God if God continues to bless you. But God's the one that looks down at us and he loves us. He sees us as his children made in his image. And so the question is, who do you believe? Do you believe God? Do you take God at his word? Or do you, are you going to listen to the devil when he attacks you and tells you that you're not worthy, you're wicked? And so again, I think it's important to recognize Satan, to know your enemy. And that's our second key point for today. So the first one was to walk with God before trials come. The second here is to know your enemy, to know Satan. So as we wind down, let's go ahead and finish out the, the reading. So if you've got your Bible, we're going to finish in Job chapter 1, starting in verse 20. Before we jump into the text, though, just keep in mind the context here. We just read about Job in this moment, literally just a matter of minutes, servant after servant coming, learning that he's lost everything, including all 10 of his children have died. And now we see Job's response starting in chapter 1, verse 20. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshiped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Chapter 2. 
Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there's none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? He still holds fast to his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without reason. Wow. So I don't know about you, but reading through that, when you see Job's response, when he gets up and he tears his robe and shaves his head and falls on the ground, if you studied you know, the, the Bible and ancient Hebrew customs, you know, this is pretty normal. The tearing of the robes, shaving their head, you know, putting on sackcloth and ashes. Those are kinds of things that we see and we associate with grief. So I'm following up to this point, you know, he's tearing his robe, shaving his head. He falls on the ground and cries out with a loud voice. Why God, why? But no, it says he fell on the ground and worshiped. And then when you look at what he says, how he worships God, I find this interesting. He says, naked, I came from my mother's womb. Naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. If you see this, he, he looks back. He says, naked, I came from my mother's womb. And then he looks forward and naked shall I return. And then he looks up. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And I find this in this short verse, this perspective, this of, of worship that he has, where in this moment of intense grief and sorrow, he looks back, he says, you know what? When I came into this earth, I had nothing. And you know what? When I die, I'm not going to have anything. He, he has that wisdom in this moment to recognize that everything that he just lost, he didn't have it when he came into the world. And then he looks to God and he says, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's just such an incredible, mature, I would say Christian, even though he didn't know Christ back then, but that's just a mature, godly perspective on things that we really need to reflect on. I think in our, especially in the, this culture and society where we focus so much on the individual, so much on this, even though we, we don't believe it, we hear this prosperity gospel, this idea that if you do good, you get good. And there's a part of us that wants to believe it, that if we're generally good, that we're going to get good. Yet Job just pushes all that aside and he focuses on God. And he's like, everything I has come, everything I have or had came from God. God is good. Uh, that's incredible. Uh, and then it goes on, you know, he doesn't sin in any of this. And I like the way this ends. We read all the way down to verse three, where when Satan comes back, God looks at him, he says, hey, look at Job. And he ends, he says, he still holds fast to his integrity. He's remaining steadfast. And one of the things I found fascinating is looking at parallel passages. In James chapter 5, verse 11, he references, references Job. He says, behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. I find that fascinating in James because when you read through the first chapter of Job, if you were to pick a couple words to describe the Lord, it probably wouldn't be compassionate and merciful. Almighty, maybe uh, just, you could argue that one, but compassionate and merciful in light of everything that Job has just experienced is, is not 
what would come to my mind. But James isn't looking at the beginning of the story like we are today. James is looking at the life of Job. He's looking at God as a whole. And what you see is maybe in that moment, God doesn't seem very compassionate and merciful. But if you look to the end, if you see where this story is going, the victory that we have in Christ, the victory over death, over sin, over all the grief and sorrow of this world, you see how compassionate and merciful God is. You see his purpose. And that's another one of the keys and secrets to remaining steadfast is learning to trust God no matter what because of who he is. So as we wrap up this morning, this lesson, I want to leave you with two thoughts. These are two questions or two two points that uh, Warren Wearsby made in his commentary that really resonated with me. And I just wanted to leave them with you as we close. The first, uh, the first thing he said is that in times of severe testing, our first question must not be, how can I get out of this? But what can I get out of this? Say it again. So in times of severe testing, our first question must not be, how can I get out of this? But what can I get out of this? And the last point that he made that I really liked was he said, we live on promises, not explanations. So we shouldn't spend too much time asking God why. And I know we talked about this last week. There's a time and a place to ask, to take our concerns to God. We see that in the Psalms. There's nothing wrong with looking to God saying, why God, why? But the point that he's making here is that, you know, our life as Christians are built on trusting in God and trusting his promises. And let's not get caught up on trying to understand why, because our little brains are not going to comprehend God's entire plan and purpose. So let's not get hung up on that. Let's focus on the promises. Let's focus on God. And let's focus on asking, what can I get out of this trial? What can I get out of this that I'm going through? So I hope this has been an encouragement. I hope that uh, you don't need these lessons anytime soon, but let's face it, in life, trials come if you live long enough in this world. So please, if you're not already doing it, find a way to start walking with God now. And don't underestimate the attacks of Satan and the way that he is going to use everything in the world around you to distract you or to attack your foundation uh, to weaken you so he can go in for the kill. Uh, and just in everything you do, trust God no matter what. So thank you for joining me today. And I look forward to being back with you again next week. Uh, God bless. Have a great week.